Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, They've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello this is the red box podcast i'm matt shawley bringing you the best of my times radio show monday to thursday 10 to 1 listen on dab smart speaker the times radio app or at times.radio, or basically wherever you get your, your radio from. Uh, thank you for all of your lovely messages about yesterday's uh, episode, particularly the chat with Daniel Finkelstein and David Iwanovich Finkelvich, uh, talking about Scotch eggs, or, but not really, actually having a proper sensible conversation about how difficult uh, coming up with rules are. And also the conversation about um, Keir Starmer, which was uh, really interesting and lots of useful advice for the Labour leader, I'm sure, uh, is listening. If you've got comments you want to get in touch, you can tweet me at Matt Chorley, you can... Um, uh, email me matt.chorley at times.radio or even better post a review on iTunes because that helps with their mumbo jumbo charts uh, right it's a Wednesday so it's PMQ's Unpacked coming up where Tim Shipman and I pause the action live from the House of Commons to analyse in real time what is going on but first today's columnist panel is John Kampfner and Tom McTague before we get stuck into the other stuff, um, this, uh, the vaccine news, and uh, d- do we feel like we are just over the hump of the hill? I mean, obviously the tooting bugles are some way off and all of that, but um, uh, Matt Hancock is out and about saying help is on its way. Uh, d- do we think that this is, you know, in, coming the morning after the night before the terrible rebellion that Boris Johnson suffered last night, is he out of the woods politically now, Tom? Uh, no, definitely not. I, I, I kind of feel a little bit like the Olympics, where we've got this kind of national moment of hope and joy. And then suddenly the kind of deep angst, oh, no, we're going to screw this up. Surely Britain can't do this. You know, we're going to be in, you know, international laughing stock when we can't, you know, inject people properly, etc., etc. So I, I don't know. I kind of feel that there's these two sides of the national character coming through. Um, John, I was struck this morning that people were, you know, inevitably on social media already telling me this person should be getting it, that person should be getting it. Um, but, it, you know, once again, Britain is is first in the in the queue for this and, and uh, the first country to approve it. Had other countries approved it, this would have been a damning indictment on Boris Johnson's incompetence, whatever it might be. Mm. But as Tom was saying, the downside of that is 
we are going to be the first to do it. And uh, we haven't got the chance to learn lessons from other countries about how to roll this out. I'm, I'm intrigued, Matt, that you use the term once again, Britain um, is first. I mean, this would be a first um, in, in COVID times for Britain to be first at doing anything properly. And I don't say that glibly. I say that uh, genuinely angrily because so many people, a disproportionate number of people have died in this country. A disproportionate economic hit we have taken, 11% GDP fall. You compare that to the European average of 5%. Um, and in the United States and Trump land, 2%. You know, we have taken a bigger hit through a series of incompetences, of hubris, of announcing things, then having to bosh those announcements, delay those announcements. So it would be wonderful, particularly if we can get rid of this stupid sort of nationalism malarkey, it would be wonderful if we do end up by being the first and we do end up by doing it well um, and that people's lives will be saved. But I mean, you know, I am curbing my enthusiasm just a bit because we have a track record of not doing things properly. <laughs> Tom, you've written extensively about this, haven't you? The sort of um, the British exceptionalism, as we think we're brilliant at everything, and yet, um, you know, often that turns out not to be the case. Yeah, we're kind of uniquely good at uh, accepting utter mediocrity and trumping trumping it as as being brilliant or the best in the world. Um, so yeah, no, I think John's absolutely right. We've been terrible during this crisis. Um, absolutely, absolutely appalling. Uh, but maybe maybe we can pull something out of the bag. But I think one of the dangers is that we pull something out of the bag and then we convince ourselves that we were good all along. <laughs> well, exactly. And so, and Boris Johnson likening himself usually, first of all, to Churchill, then to um, uh, FDR. Uh, now he's probably, what's he going to sort of think, sort of somewhere between sort of Florence Nightingale and Marie Curie or something. He's, <laughs> I'm, you, know, you know, the mind boggles, but he will, you know, given that they were hoping that, and it's ridiculous, all this competitiveness, they were hoping that the Oxford vaccine, the AstraZeneca would be first, and they were planning to put the union flag on the packaging and other assorted nonsense. That didn't work. The Germans and the Americans got in there first, uh, and so now they're trying to gazump them by 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 being the first country to adopt this vaccine. The, the bit that I'm scratching my head about genuinely in medical terms is uh, why is it that we've approved it so much more quickly? It's not as if this is a, a big surprise. Uh, you know, this the the fact of there was so much publicity around the German company, um, those two brilliant scientists who had done this a few weeks ago. Why is it um, that it has been approved here first? Yeah, I was struck by a piece that uh, Chris Smythe had written in The Times today where he said that um, uh, the, EU's, the EU equivalent of the MHRA that would approve this, it already said it wasn't going to approve anything until after Christmas. Maybe they've just got a lot on and they're, you know... <laughs> uh, they're at home, they're it's at all home. those Brussels bureaucrats, eh? Um, uh, but yeah, but, but then maybe I suppose actually being slightly more, being just one country, being slightly more flight. I don't actually know how the European system works, but maybe all all uh, member states have to sort of you know give their own sign off or something. Maybe that is part part of the the hold up. Um, let, uh, I sort of slightly glossed over the um, the good news uh, this morning. Um, let's talk about uh, the bad news for the prime minister overnight and this uh, this Tory rebellion. Fifty four Tory MPs voting against the new tiered restrictions. Um, for England, the biggest uh, backbench rebellion since the general election uh, almost a year ago. Um, Tom McTague, does... 
Um, does this matter in that the, the restrictions have, have gone through and, you know, unless and until the Labour Party decides to actually vote against uh, the government, which seems like quite a big uh, move, um, then in, in in reality, to my life, your life, it doesn't have any impact. But then there is always the problem that once once an MP's tasted rebellion, they, they tend to get a get a taste for it. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think it sort of it does matter and it doesn't. So it, it does matter for the exact reason you've said. It's a little bit like um, me trying to do a sort of dry j- January. If I break, well, that's it. I'm going to go wet for the rest of the uh, for the rest of the month. <laughs> Once you've had a beer, that's it. But so I think there's that problem. But then there's but then there's just the fact that we know that this was a free hit for people like Tom Tugendhat in, in Kent who, who couldn't vote for this, given given the circumstances in his area or in other people's areas, specific areas. So this was a free hit. They knew they wouldn't it wouldn't cause the government any major problem. So I think it's both manageable, but it is a little bit of a sort of an, an early uh, sort of warning flare for Boris that he needs to keep on top of this. Um, John Campany, you've watched politics for a long time. Can a can a prime minister get uh, rebels back in line? And what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, I don't think this is as significant as uh, as others portray it. Um, as soon as Keir Starmer um, did what he seems to be becoming a habit for him, decide to sit on the fence, um, which he's doing, uh, been doing consistently on on Brexit. Um, then he gave a, a free pass to uh, Tory rebels who, and I think their reasoning is, is I'm not accusing uh, them or, or all of them of, of cynicism about that. They were genuinely angry. They were angry on behalf of their constituents. But a lot of angry uh, MPs, backbenchers who want to rebel are usually prevailed not to, particularly in the argument that if you do that, uh, we, the government, might lose. There was no chance of that happening. So they, in spite of Boris Johnson's sort of bearing down at them in the voting lobbies, apparently, they could do it with relative impunity. And there is uh, another scenario for Johnson, which is that um, more difficulties uh, in this final bit of this quarter and in Q1 next year, when the complete mayhem of the borders and Brexit, with or without a deal, come through and it will be truly awful, but that COVID eventually dissipates by by Easter and into the summer, uh, he's still got a large majority. And I'm one of those that, you know, um, has been around long enough to know that pretty much every prime minister, no matter how big or small their majority, they are always sort of written off or semi-written off early or mid or, or latter part of their, of their terms. It varies, but... Uh, it's it's quite often not the case that they do recover and they go into the next election in reasonably healthy form. So I think um, uh, it's far too early to talk about um, his demise. Um, so somebody said, Tony's just got in touch. Matt, get these doom mongers off. Britain has got enough to contend without anti-Britain sentiments from your guests. Negativity is dripping from my radio and it's depressing. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a, you, might lose a, you might lose a listener, Matt, and we don't want to do that. We don't so want to do that. I'll tell you what, let's, let's move on and talk about mass deportations to really jolly things, uh, <laughs> jolly things uh, up a bit. Um, uh, so it's been confirmed this morning that several dangerous foreign criminals, as the government describes them, have been deported from the UK, but a significant number of other offenders were granted a last-minute 
reprieve after uh, legal challenges. Uh, that's according to the Home Office Minister, Chris Filt, this morning. Um, th- this story's been sort of rumbling on for a few days now that campaigners have been trying to halt the, the planned flight, uh, deportation flight to Jamaica. Uh, and, uh, you know, with ongoing concerns linking it to the Windrush scandal, although the government insists that none of those, uh, the offenders involved, uh, were eligible for the Windrush compensation scheme. Uh, and they said it was to remove dangerous foreign criminals from the country, including those convicted of rape and murder. And lots of Labour MPs have been writing to uh, the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, demanding that this, this be halted. It's a re- this is one of those subjects where I don't, I'm, I'm really conflicted about what I think about it, because on the one hand, um, I think Priti Patel gets a lot of uh, criticism, not all of it un- unwarranted sometimes. But, um, John Campanis, surely it's right that if Britain wants to say, if you come here and break the law... Uh, and you're not British, then we will remove you from Britain and send you home again. That's that's a, something that we're allowed to choose to do, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think, I think Matt, on behalf of that um, upset listener, I should say, hurrah for Priti Patel, caring, competent um, Home Secretary, um, and end it there. But, um, <laughs> well, we're clipping that up. <laughs> <laughs> Use that on your trailers. Um, the, um, but more, more seriously, no, I mean, it is, all Home Secretaries have terrible dilemmas, the Home Office itself is a particularly gloomy place that uh, does uh, many or most of the difficult and unpleasant things. And yes, one of the uh, reasons for Brexit was, uh, to use the phrase, to take control, unquote, of of borders. And it does allow Britain to um, get rid of people it regards as undesirables. There is a big difference between murderers and rapists, however, and people sleeping rough uh, and in difficulty. Uh, the uh, hope, I would assume, is that the government is competent enough to be able to differentiate between people who are in need and in difficulty, uh, to use a very basic human right, and people who are, are dangerous and, and a danger to society. Uh, Tom, what do you think about this? I, mean, I think you and I, when we, we, we worked together, we wrote endless stories about ministers announcing they were going to remove uh, criminals from Britain. And then six months later, we'd look at the figures and it turned out they hadn't. Yeah, and you can imagine that carrying on, can't you? I think um, Pretty Patel, in some ways, is one of Boris Johnson's most interesting um, appointments uh, of, of his premiership in that it kind of went, it took everybody by surprise. And yet she he obviously sees that she has some popularity out there, particularly among the conservative base and the uh, the new conservative voters, the new conservative coalition. So I, I think what's happening is is fascinating. And I imagine that it's this is a deeply problematic moment for the Labour leadership as well, and that they know that this is popular and and yet there is a they have to find a way of rebelling or, or or putting pressure on the government over legitimate ethical problems and also backing something that i think probably has overwhelming support i mean i i wonder whether you know i know rishi sunak is seen as the as the kind of heir apparent or the the next leader but would you bet against priti patel winning a leadership com- contest if boris johnson were to ever sort of fall under a bus given the sort of popularity she has among Conservative voters. That was John Kampner and Tom McTay there picking over the news. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box podcast now. It's Wednesday, so it must be time for this. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, it's that time on a Wednesday where uh, we head to the House of Commons of PMQs. I'm Pat and Tim Shipman, please go to the Sunday Times, joins me. Hello, Matt. What do we think will dominate today? Or will they both try to have entirely separate conversations? I think there's every prospect of that, um, to be honest. Um, I mean, Boris Johnson has received what a former Downing Street staffer told me this morning was literally a shot in the arm for a beleaguered government, which is quite a good way of putting the political benefits uh, of the vaccine. Um, I mean, his challenge rhetorically is to somehow go further than Alok Sharma, the business secretary, who's proclaimed that this is a day the UK led humanity's charge against the disease, which may be crediting uh, uh, the British government slightly too much in terms of actually developing this thing. But, uh, you know, governments get a lot of benefits and suffer a lot of damage from things that are beyond their control. And this is some good news for the government. Um, Boris Johnson, we know from the conversation he was having with Tory MPs yesterday, will also probably try to have a pop at Keir Starmer for abstaining in the big vote um, yesterday, all about, you know, whether or not we should carry on with this tiering system. He apparently referred to Keir as uh, an invertebrate. So we await uh, what uh, what Boris has to say there. But Starmer has, you know, he's still got a lot of things he can he can go on. Um, uh, a lot of things are still taking a lot of time. Um, and it'd be interesting to see the case he builds this week. We were talking earlier this week on the show about how uh, actually Keir Starmer, for all the stick we sometimes give him for not exactly setting the world alight, uh, is polling better than any opposition leader at this point into the leadership, with the exception of Tony Blair. So people seem uh, satisfied, if not necessarily, you know, 
jubilant. Well, we sit here analysing this every week, and this is a parliamentary bear pit. What what PMQs is about is about you know winning a very quick boxing match and making your side feel better, getting them cheering behind you, even if uh, physically there aren't uh, so many of them sitting behind you these days. Um, out there, the public's not paying attention quite this degree. They pick up broad trends and broad feelings about people. And Keir Starmer, as we were saying right back at the start when he started doing PMQs, um, you know, looks like a serious, credible leader of the opposition. And beyond that, is beginning to look like you know uh, someone who could be prime minister in a way that no other Labour leader has done since Tony Blair. So, you know, from that point of view, it's job done. And if you speak to people in Starmer's office, they'll say, you know, we're still making the argument that this party is under new management. People still need to notice out there um, that Jeremy Corbyn isn't around. That the Labour Party is a different proposition, and, and that takes not weeks and, and months. That, that can take years to sort of in, get through into the public consciousness. So each week he has a, has a chance to, to impress people in Westminster. But the collection of those things is what the country cares about. And I suppose that's, that, that's the thing, isn't it? Is that actually get, even getting to the point where people have views of, uh, of Keir Starmer and the Labour Party, or maybe they just don't have views. You know, actually having been... Well, knowing who neutral. the bloke is is something. You uh, know, but, having heard of him, knowing he's there, and thinking that you might want to listen to what he's got to say. That's the first hurdle that he had to clear, and he's certainly cleared that. And, uh, yeah, a neutral view is better than a, you know, a negative one, which is... Uh, and, well, and actually... most leaders of the opposition who failed over the last few years failed very quickly in, the, in their leaderships. Ian Duncan Smith's uh, opinion polling was in the, uh, in the gutter within 100 days, and Keir Starmer's team were very conscious of that and wanted to make a good first impression, and I think most people would say they pulled it off. OK, let's go to the House of Commons now. This is Keir Starmer, the Labour leader. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his comments on disabled people? And like the Prime Minister, can I start with the fantastic news about the licensing of a vaccine? This pandemic has caused so much grief and so much loss, but we're now a big step closer to the end of the tunnel. And like the Prime Minister, can I express my thanks to those of everyone in these benches and across the House, to all the scientists who've worked on this, and to everybody who's taken part in the trials. Delivering a vaccine fairly quickly and safely will now be the next major challenge facing the country. And whatever our differences across this House, we've all a duty to play our part in this national effort and to reassure the public about the safety of the vaccine. Mr Speaker, this morning a priority list has been published for the first phase of the rollout. We understand that around 800,000 doses will soon be available, and that's good news. Because of the two doses that will be required, that means 400,000 people can be vaccinated in the first batch. So can the Prime Minister tell the House who does he expect to receive the vaccine next week? Prime Minister. Uh, I'm grateful to the right, to the right honourable gentleman uh, uh, for his, uh, his point about the, the rollout, and he's, uh, he's, he, let me uh, perhaps uh, just update the House on what the JCVI has, has, has concluded so far. And uh, the priority list will be residents in a care home uh, for, adult, for older adults and their carers to stop uh, transmission, uh, all those uh, 80 years of age and, uh, and older. Uh, frontline health care uh, and social care workers, uh, then all those of 75 years of age and over, 
than all those of 70 years of age and over uh, the clinically extremely vulnerable individuals. Uh, and, and, and then uh, a, a, a list that I'm sure the House will want to, to study closely, but I believe does represent uh, common sense. I think it is very important at this stage for us all to recognise that this is uh, unquestionably good news. It's very, very good news. But it is by no means the end of the story. It is not the end of our national uh, struggle against, uh, against coronavirus. And that is why it's very important that the package of, uh, of moderate but tough measures that uh, the House voted for last night, the tiering system, is followed across the country because that's how we will continue uh, to beat the virus. Yes. Okay, there's quite a lot to uh, to unpick in uh, in all of that. Keir Starmer emphasising the need to roll this out fairly and safely, um, pointing out that 400,000 people, or there'll be, there's enough for 400,000 people to have it next week. I'm not sure Boris Johnson totally asked, answered that question, because although we've got the list of, as he says, residents in care homes and their carers, the over-80s, frontline health workers, we're not sure how far down we get with that no, list. No, it's that not first clear batch. whether 400,000 is just care home people and, the, and their carers, or whether it will get into those uh, tiers of, of elderly as well. I mean, our, our colleague, actually, Times Radio colleague Luke Jones tweeted earlier, he said that seem to say there are 420,000 care home residents, so we might not get very far down that list at all. No, that's right, um, and uh, I'm sure Starmer will have another go at that. Um, and this is, you know, this is what he does quite well. He um, uh, focuses on the detail and tries to get specific answers. Um, I, it feels like we're in for a quite a grown-up Prime Minister's questions without too much uh, folder roll. And, uh, yeah, Boris Johnson not following Alok Sharma's leading and being too cock-a-hoop seems to be, you know, trying to be more level-headed. Yes, it is good news, he said, but this is not the end of the uh, struggle. Uh, and I think he's probably quite keen to stress that, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. And, and well, they want people to stick to the rules to because the rules um, if you've got a limited amount of vaccines, you want a, a lid to be kept on the virus for the next couple of, two, three, four months Well. um uh, we start to distribute it. OK, let's go back to the comments. Keir Starmer. Speaker, the Prime Minister referenced the priority for the first phase, and as he said, the top two priority groups are residents in care homes for older adults and their carers, all those 80 years of age and over in frontline health and social care workers. Now, I'm not criticising that list in the slightest, but it's obvious that that's more than 400,000 people, and the Prime Minister will understand how anxious people in those particular groups are um, after having sacrificed so much. So can the Prime Minister tell us the answer to the question that they're going to be asking this morning, which is, when does he expect that all people in those two top groups can expect to be vaccinated? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I, I think it, at this stage it is very, very important that uh, people do not uh, get their hopes up too soon about the speed with which we'll be able to uh, roll out this vaccine. It is uh, beginning, as uh, my right-hand friend, the Health Secretary, has said, uh, from next week. Uh, we are expecting several million uh, doses of uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine before the end of the year. Uh, we will then be rolling it out as fast as, as we possibly can. But that's why I put so much emphasis, Mr Speaker, on the continuing importance of the tiering system uh, of mass uh, community testing at the same time as we go forward through these tough winter months, because we will need, at the same time as we roll out the vaccine, and he's right to ask about, about timetables, but as we, as we roll out the vaccine over the next few weeks, Mr, uh, Mr Speaker, we will need to keep that tough tiering and testing regimes in place. Good stuff. 
Really interesting. You've got uh, Keir Starmer at the dispatch box saying, I'm not criticising the list in the slightest, you know, just saying that this is what the list is that stands. At that exact moment, Angela Rayner, his deputy leader of the Labour Party, tweets, Johnson doesn't have seem to have a plan for rolling out the vaccine. How many will be given the vaccine next week? When, where and how? His track record on PPE testing and track and trace is one of delays, failure and billions being given to cronies and private companies. Striking a slightly different tone to Well, it's boss. interesting, isn't it? Because Starmer can get a nice grown-up uh, clip in... Uh, on the news, and Angela Rayner can appeal to uh, the Labour Party base, um, which loathes Boris Johnson with its uh, every last soul and sinew. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, Johnson isn't doing what, you know, perhaps he might have done. Um, a lot of PMQs, the boisterous ones, it's very much between two political leaders. This sounds like a Prime Minister's questions between a Prime Minister who is trying to be cautious and grown up and a leader of the opposition who would like to be Prime Minister. And that's a little bit different from the sort of uh, cheerleading that you sometimes get. I don't think I've ever seen uh, Boris Johnson be so downbeat uh, when he could be so upbeat. You know, his bu- tooting bugles and cavalry coming over the hill and all. We had all of that in the in the papers at the weekend, in the press conference last week, and now he says, uh, um, uh, do not get your hopes up too soon. Well, it may just be that he gets credit from both sets of people, and the good news is good enough that he then gets he, he, to, he then yeah. gets some credit for being responsible about it um, and not over-egging the pudding. Um, a lot of his cheerleading is desperately trying to lift his party off the floor in, in very bad moments, um, and it sounds ridiculous to a lot of people who don't agree with him, but the people who are sort of on his side are often cheered by that. Nobody needs cheering for this it's it's unalloyed good news we can we can cheer ourselves uh, let's go back and see if Keir Starmer uh, maybe takes up that that line of political attack from Angela Wayland thank you Mr Speaker can I press the Prime Minister a bit further about the plan for care homes I do so because we all want this to work because that top category is residents in care homes um, and that'll obviously be a huge concern for many people this morning the Welsh Government has already raised some serious practical problems about the delivery of vaccines into care homes that's bearing in mind the temperatures at which the vaccines have to be stored now the Prime Minister must know this is going to be a four nation problem uh, must be aware that this problem would arise um, and obviously we all want to overcome this problem and it's in that spirit that I ask the Prime Minister what plans has he put in place to address these particular problems of getting the vaccine safely and quickly into care homes given the practical difficulties of doing so and the anxiety that those in care homes will have about getting it quickly? Prime Minister. Well, uh, he, I, I, he is entirely right to raise the issue of uh, of care homes and the uh, ability, our ability to distribute uh, this particular type of vaccine uh, rapidly uh, into care homes because it does need to be kept at minus 70 degrees, as I think the House uh, understands. So there are uh, logistical challenges to be overcome to, to get vulnerable people uh, the access to the vaccine that, uh, that they need. Uh, we are working on it with uh, all four, uh, all, all, the, all the devolved administrations uh, in order to uh, in, ensure that the NHS across the country is able, and it's the NHS that will be in the lead, uh, is able to distribute it as, as fast and uh, as sensibly as possible to the most vulnerable groups. But he, he's right to raise that uh, particular logistical difficulty. That's why it's also important uh, that we get the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, uh, which we hope will also come on stream. And uh, while he's, while he's paying vaccine. tribute to uh, those who have been involved in the vaccines, perhaps he could uh, also pay tribute uh, to the work of the Vaccine Task Force, uh, which secured the deal with Pfizer and which uh, he, uh, I think, criticised only a few weeks ago. 
Oh, just a glimmer of politics. A little bit of politics creeping in A little bit of politics in creeping into the, uh, what has otherwise been a sort of slightly dull select committee hearing um, sort of uh, vibe. Um, uh, already, and we were just talking about this in uh, Disunited Kingdom, but this, this challenge of, because health is devolved and because Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland, Mark Drakeford in Wales, uh, the two, uh, the First Minister and Deputy First Minister in Northern Ireland, have all got their own, you know, political priorities. You know, Nicola Sturgeon will want to be the first person out, you know, giving it to an elderly Sticking person. it in someone's <laughs> arm herself, no doubt. But, but you know, there was, a, there was a political benefit to being, you know, first out of the blocks. But, uh, you know, keeping it at minus 70 degrees. And obviously we want people in care homes to get it first because they're perhaps the most vulnerable. But also they're also the most difficult. They're not people who can hop in a car and drive to a drive-in centre at a, at a football ground. No, and this is a problem. And anyone you speak to at the top of government says we probably will need the army for some of this. Um, you know, Pfizer has come first um, and, you know, that's great. But um, it's very, very difficult to deal with. Keeping something at minus 70 throughout the entire life of its transportation from manufacture, I think in Belgium, um, to wherever it needs to be here is going to be a big problem. Um, and that's why they're so keen to get the AstraZeneca one moving, which the government has frankly had a little bit more involvement in promoting. Um, uh, there are more doses of that, and that can be kept in the fridge, um, and that's a heck of a lot easier uh, to send to far-flung corners of the uh, of the country. As ever, um, uh, people listening to the same uh, feed from the House of Commons come getting very different uh, <laughs> takes on it. Chris says, I think Starmer's boxing very clever here. Boris Johnson was clearly hoping for a negative angle from Starmer. What he's getting support and being asked about what he hates detail. Uh, Someone else texts in, doesn't matter how good the news is, Captain Hindsight will find something to bleat on about. Well, there we go. The same exchanges, <laughs> two very different takes. Let's go back to the comments and kiss Starmer. Starmer. Well, I pay tribute to everybody who's got us this far and we'll work with all of them to get us where we need to go Four. next. This has to be something which we all pull together to deliver this as quickly and safely as possible over the next few months. And I've made that offer to the Prime Minister before and I do it again. Can I, and it's really in that vein that I turn to the next question, which is public confidence in the vaccine, which is a real cause for concern because that's going to be crucial to the success of getting this rolled out across the country, getting our economy back up and running. Um, as the Prime Minister knows, we've got the highest regulatory and medical safety standards in the world. Um, but it's really important we do everything possible to, to counter dangerous, frankly, life-threatening disinformation about vaccines. We on this side have called for legislation to be introduced to clamp down on this with financial penalties for companies that fail to act. So will the Prime Minister work with us on this and bring forward emergency legislation in the coming days, which I think the whole House would support? Prime Minister. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, we are of course, uh, working to tackle all kinds of disinformation across the, uh, the internet. And uh, he's right to single out the, 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 the anti-vaxxers and those who, are, who I think are totally wrong uh, in their approach. And uh, he's right to encourage take-up of vaccines across the, across the country. And uh, we'll be publishing a paper very shortly, Mr Speaker, on online harms uh, designed to tackle the very disinformation that he, that he speaks of. Uh, that sounds remarkably like a no in terms of uh, legislation. Angela Rayner is certainly joining in with this. She's basically doing her own version of PMQ's Unpacked, doing live, um, uh, live tweeting. She says, as we embark on a vital national effort to get people vaccinated, it's clear that we need emergency legislation to tackle dangerous anti-vax disinformation. I fail to understand why Boris Johnson won't work with us on legislation on this in the national interest. That's the Labour's deputy leader taking a much punchier political 
uh, line than uh, Keir Starmer. True, though the Prime Minister's response was that we are precisely bringing forward some legislation on online harm. So let's see uh, what they are. Bits of it have leaked already. Um, it will certainly tackle this in some way. And as we know from behind the scenes, both the Times, which has reported on GCHQ's involvement in tackling anti-vaxxers, my colleague on the Sunday Times, Gabriel Progren, wrote a brilliant piece last weekend all about how an army intelligence unit is, is tackling this stuff as well. So the government is doing things. Um, whether it's precisely what Labour wants uh, uh, remains to be seen. And part of the problem is, is once the and we, we, we've talked about this on the show before, is that once the government starts trying to get into legislating what you can and can't say, you get a whole free speech debate. Actually, the people you know slightly prone to be anti-lockdown, anti-vax are also quite big on your free speech, and it all you know you end up fueling a conspiracy. Uh, whereas actually, if you could just persuade as many people as possible to go out and get the vaccine, that might be a, might be a better approach. Right, let's go back to Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, can I also urge the Prime Minister, once the government has a communications plan for the vaccine, can he share it with the House so that we can all say the same thing in the same way to the country and thus encourage as many people to take up the vaccine as possible? Now, the arrival of vaccine is obviously wonderful news, but it will come too late to many who've lost their jobs already. And I want to turn to the collapse of the Arcadia Group and Debenhams in the last 48 hours. That's put 25,000 jobs at risk and obviously caused huge anxiety to many families at the worst possible time and threatens to rip the heart out of many high streets in our towns and cities. So can the Prime Minister tell the House what is he going to do now to protect the jobs and the pensions of all those affected by these closures? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, we're, we're looking at what we can do to protect uh, all the jobs that are being lost currently across the country and uh, my right honourable friend the Secretary of State for uh, Business Enterprise and Skills has written to uh, the insolvency service to look at the conduct of the Arcadia uh, directors uh, uh, and uh, we, will be, we will be doing everything we can to restore uh, the high streets of this country uh, with our £1 billion uh, high streets uh, fund and the, the levelling up fund, Mr Speaker. But I must say, I think it is, it is a, a bit much that the, the Right Honourable Gentleman should uh, attack the economic consequences of the fight against coronavirus, when last night uh, neither he nor his troops uh, could be bothered to vote for measures, uh, sensible, balanced measures, that would open up the economy and allow, allow businesses uh, to, to, to trade, Mr Speaker. Uh, how can he attack the economic consequences of our battle against coronavirus when he won't even support measures to open up the economy? Uh, there, there's your politics creeping back in again. Everyone, everyone can agree that the vaccines are good and we want the right people to get it safely. But, uh, We've got two questions left, so now let's do some politics. Let's turn our attention to some politics. Um, you know, Labour will be very keen to push, you know, the Philip Green, Arcadia uh, uh, collapse um, as uh, um, without the government um, doing anything to support, particularly those who've lost money in pensions and that sort of thing. Um, interestingly, and we were speaking about an hour ago, about, uh, or two hours ago now, fishing. Um, the fishing industry uh, employs, I think it's 24,000 people, uh, in the UK, uh, 25,000 people are now at risk of redundancy in the last 24 hours alone from retail. It's sort of, you know, a lot of tension on fish because of Brexit and all that sort of thing. That's a huge number of people, isn't it? Who are... Yeah, and it's, 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 it's job losses um, before Christmas, and it's in parts of, you know, the, the economy that people notice, you know. Um, it's your high street. It's it's the shops you go to, um, and that means a lot more than some job losses in a 
company that you know might supply you with a product but you never actually see um so it has quite an impact on morale as well as on you know public confidence it was interesting that uh, Keir Starmer obviously thought that, that not voting uh, last night and abstaining on the on the new restrictions in England meant that he was he was not supporting the tougher uh, measures uh, and seemed to to back you know these areas going to tier two and tier two, tier three uh, Boris Johnson turning around and saying he couldn't be bothered to vote for the measures to open up the economy which well, what, is- what he, of course Starmer was actually doing was making sure that the story was about the number of conservative rebels and nothing else whatsoever yeah. which politically in Westminster is a sensible thing um, it's one of those things where he actually did do the political trick which we sometimes accuse him of not doing you wonder if he does it too often whether that will then percolate yeah. out to that other world of the public who think why can't this bloke decide yeah, what do you it want? depends if people have got, got the message. So it's he, always swings and roundabouts. Make a decision, yeah. Well, let's go back. Last, last question. Mr Speaker, when I abstain, I come to the House and explain. When the Prime Minister, when the Prime Minister abstains, he runs away to Afghanistan and gives the taxpayer a £20,000 bill. Mr Speaker, on the question of jobs, there are serious questions that need to be answered about the collapse of these businesses. Uh, and I don't want the Prime Minister to deflect from that and what it means for these many families, because this isn't an isolated incident. Over 200,000 retail jobs have been lost this year. That's 200,000 individuals and their families. 20,000 stores have been closed on our high street. Um, and that's before the latest restrictions. Now, I suspect if we'd seen that scale of job losses in any other sector, there would have been much greater action already. So I urge the Prime Minister to take this seriously. Don't deflect. As well as providing emergency support, will the Prime Minister work with us, with the trade unions and the sector, to finally bring forward a comprehensive plan to save retail jobs and to provide the sector with the much greater support it needs through this crisis? These are real people, Prime Minister, with real jobs. This family were facing the sack. They really need to hear from you. Just before we hear from the Prime Minister, Tim, just quickly explain what that, that convoluted... Well, when I explain, I come to the House having, and explain. Oh, Abstain. having complained that he doesn't do niche Westminster attack <laughs> material, we've been treated, haven't we? This is, a, this is a gag all about Boris Johnson refusing to vote on the Heathrow third runway, which he'd said he was opposed to, but didn't want to vote against when he was in the Cabinet. And he literally jumped on a plane and had a secret trip to Afghanistan uh, so he could be out of the country, um, which is sort of... It's a bit niche and it's a bit old, but um, <laughs> uh, people in the chamber will have appreciated and it. it, it can- Keeps, keeps you and I in uh, work that we can remember those things. Uh, let's go back and see how Boris Johnson responded. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, we're, we're, we're of course supporting every job that we possibly can, as we're supporting every life and every livelihood, Mr Speaker, with a £200 billion programme. But I'd take him more seriously, frankly, if he actually could be bothered to vote for a programme, a moderate programme, to, to keep the virus down and open up the economy, uh, Mr Speaker. And uh, we're, getting on, we're getting on with our programme, as I say, of rolling out the vaccine of, uh, of sensible... Uh, tiering measures, in addition to which, Mr Speaker, we are delivering 40 more hospitals and 20,000 more police officers. Uh, And he talks about abstention, Mr Speaker. When it came to protecting our veterans uh, from unfair prosecution, he chose uh, to abstain. Uh, when When it came to protecting the people of this country... From when it came to protecting the people of this country from coronavirus at this critical moment, he told his troops to abstain, Mr Speaker. Captain Hindsight is rising rapidly up the ranks and has become general indecision, Mr Speaker. Oh, there we are. That's, that's what's happening, I'm afraid, to oh, the right gentlemen. He, he, he dithers, we get on with the job. Right, right, there he has finished. Um, 
maybe it might have been better to have, to have ended it on uh, on cap. So a little bit of politics creeping in the end there. Um, I, it, it feels to me a bit like Keir Starmer has done the job, which actually leaders of the opposition need to do, of just laying the groundwork, asking some questions. So if and when, and we obviously hope it all does go well, but if and when the vaccine rollout doesn't go well, he can say, well, I did ask you, what, what is your plan for care homes? What is your plan? Yeah, and this is what he's done well over the last few months. He'll he'll seed things one week and come back to them again and again. Um, and as we you know have frequently seen, the Prime Minister um, isn't always across uh, all of the detail. Um but that said, you know, he's had a good uh, day with the vaccine. He played a fairly responsible straight bat at the top of the show um, and he got his uh, general indecision line in at the end of it. So um, reasonable score draw, probably. Uh, general indecision is completely different to General Messenger, who we had doing the, the press conference in Downing Street the other night. Uh, right, let's just uh, quickly hear, let's take one, we've got time for one question from Ian Blackford, leader of the SNP. Walking up with a genuine sense of hope. The news on the vaccine approval is the news that we've all been waiting for. But, Mr Speaker, for many, that hope on the horizon remains far too distant. There are millions who still haven't had a single penny of support from this UK government. As others rightly received help, they received none. Prime Minister, yesterday I met with Excluded UK, who represent many of these three million citizens. For the last nine months, the Excluded have been living without any help, without any hope. And it is now, tragically, costing lives. Prime Minister, they told me something genuinely shocking. They are aware of eight people who have taken their lives in the last 10 days. Eight people in 10 days. Prime Minister, we are now a little over three weeks from Christmas. These people need help. Will the Prime Minister commit to looking again at the support package for the excluded to ensure no one but no one is left behind? Prime Minister. Well, I, I obviously sympathise very much, Mr Speaker, with uh, those who've taken their lives and their families. And uh, this has been a very tough time for the country. We're investing massively in, uh, in mental health support uh, across the, uh, the country, as, as he knows, uh, which is, flows through in violent consequentials to, uh, obviously, to, uh, to Scotland. And we put in a huge package of support. And uh, he knows this, but I must repeat this for, for self-employed people across the country. And I know there are hard-to-reach uh, people, but they are also supported with the increases in, uh, in universal credit and the many other means of support that are currently on offer, Mr Speaker. And uh, I think when you look at the overall level of support this, this government has given to people across this country, it compares favourably with any other government around the world. Uh, let's just jump in there. Um, we should point out, and I, I, I take the point that um, Ian Blackford is making and the, and the concern that this, this group, Excluded UK, have raised. We should point out, and the Samaritan's guidance is clear on this, that suicide is incredibly complicated. And most of the time, there's not just one uh, factor that leads to someone taking their own life. It's usually a combination of risks. And we need to be very careful when we... we we, we try, you know, in reporting, there's lots of guardians and journalists on um, uh, not um, saying that one thing is necessarily the cause of that. But it, there is a huge amount of pressure on people, and this excluded UK group has, has actually made quite a lot of political noise, haven't they? They have, and they, I think there was a time when the Prime Minister was going to meet them, and then he didn't. Um, and, you know, the time might be coming where that might make sense. Um, you know, the government can rightly say it's put more money into this than uh, was ever conceivable at the start of the year. And in uh, large regard, I think it compares quite well with what has been done in comparable countries like Germany and France. But there are always going to be people slipping through the gaps and the Treasury need to uh, keep an eye on what they can do for those people as well. Um, but quite a downer at the end of what was basically an upbeat um, day for 
politics. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing. Uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB, online, via Smart Speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. <laughs> 